September 4, 2007, it's a Watt from Pedro show. Thank you. 
is a peaceful solution called a peace revolution. Now let's take back America. There's a war and we're in it, but I know we can win it. So let's take back America. Let's take back America. It's a dream, so believe it. Now get ready to receive it. Now let's take back America. When the war is over and we've won it, let's remember how we done it so we don't have to do it again. So we don't have to do it again. There's a peaceful solution called a peace revolution. Now let's take back America. There's a war and we're in it, but I know we can win it. Now let's take back America. Now let's take back America. There was a peace resolution and a peaceful revolution. And the peaceful solution saved America. And the peaceful solution saved America. Uh, Watt from Pedro Show. This is the first time I've done one here from Dublin, Ireland. Uh, September 4th, 2007. I have uh, two friends with me here. Introduce yourself. Nez. Anto. Right. And uh, Nez, you're actually coming home because you've been an expatriate for a while. That's right. I was living in the UK for uh, eight years and now I'm back in my hometown of Dublin. Yeah, and it's great being back. Okay, and I told you you've been here a long time. I've never left. Never left. Never. And Watt is visitor, I don't know, maybe fifth or sixth time I've been here now. Ah, I was here with Jay. I've been here with the Stooges a few times. Dublin Castle. Sloan Castle, even though it's not in Dublin, I stayed here. Um, uh, we, we, Wheelands? Wheelands, yeah. yeah. With yeah. Second Man? Yeah. And then one time I came without even doing a gig. That's right. You came over and you did a holiday in Ireland. Yeah, you stay with me. Right. It's in Scarries. In Scarries, north of Dublin, on the coastline. Yeah. Where the uh, windmills are. Yeah, we've got windmills and we've got a harbour, <laughs> trawlers and stuff I like that. I should say what we started off with. That was uh, Afro Blue, live at Birdland, Joe, John Coulter, and something uh, you picked me as. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Well, just possibly one of my favourites. It's an unsung album. It does tends to get overlooked when people talk about the great albums, but I suppose like with Coltrane's music, it's very personal. And that, to me, is uh, one of my personal favourites. I don't know why. I like the way it's recorded. It's a beautiful live recording, and uh, I think it captures Elvin Jones in his uh, full flight. Have you ever end. seen a different drummer? Yeah, you sent it to me. Yeah, that's how you saw it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I saw Elvin live four times. First time was ninety. He was just after celebrating his 70th birthday. And yeah, I got great. a poster that tour. Yeah. Perkins got one signed. He had a big birthday party in New York just before he played in London. Yeah. I saw him at Ronnie Scott's. I have a Zildjian poster that Perk got signed by yeah. him that I got my practice pat. Each time I saw him, he was amazing. But I suppose the last time was 2002. You were there one of the times. Yeah, you? twice. And the Why last did he time. He played here, I'm curious. Yeah, he played here in uh, 2002. The okay. same. Within five days of um, no venue, oh the venue was uh, Vicker Street, Vicker Street, which is a good venue for jazz concerts because it's kind of 
everything is sort of close to the band. So you yeah, we saw McCoy Toyner there. And we, we saw McCoy Toyner in five days. Of course, there was jazz fans in Dublin for years that never got to see anybody because Dublin wasn't on the jazz map, if such a thing exists. So No, within, it was hard week, for me to play here for until 90s. Yeah, well, it was quite a close circuit for bands. You know, you had to be on a certain sort of path and in with certain promoters and bookers and so on. But within five days or seven days or something, both those guys played with their own bands. And there's people in the audience crying, of course, because they were waiting for all their life and then they seen the guys near, right. near the end of Elvin's life and this is like uh, tables are close to the stage yeah yeah, yeah yeah, that's how me and Petty Bone would see them at Catalina's and then later on Jazz Bakery and when you're close enough where you really get it's like not some big but the majority of the crowd that went to see them here were under the age of 30 I'd say at the time most of the people were kind of new to, the, to it and I think he was shocked Elvin was talking to a lot of the people after the gig and he was quite I suppose impressed but taken aback that most of the audience were younger, way younger than he expected, you know? Yeah, but he was playing with younger cats. He always yeah. had young oh, guys yeah. in the jazz machine. Yeah. Now, he lived in, uh, I think, Nagasaki. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with a Japanese Keiko. wife that kept him on the straight and narrow, yeah. yeah. And uh, so his first gigs would always be in the West Coast. Mm. So I'd see him when the... Make his band. Now, he didn't have to wear them, but his band wore these iron-on T-shirts. Elvin Jones' the, uh, jazz machine, right? yeah. And the, the iron-on was, like, very... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thick and yeah. flat because it was right at the beginning of the yeah. tour <laughs> but uh, you didn't have to wear roller skates with them no 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 no, no, no roller skates and, and they were happy to play with him and he loved him he showed a lot of love and audience sometimes he'd look at one person the whole song yeah you get your song mm-hmm. Elvin's playing for you you know it was like that big time like a whole gig you get would be like Billy Higgins you know, yeah, it's your yeah. lucky. Let <laughs> 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 me stare at you this whole show. Um, but he, he was you know who else just passed away recently that played drums? Max Roach. Oh, yeah, right only, yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, he played in that album with. Uh, I seen him Duke a lot. Guys. He played with young people too. Although I saw him with John Carter, I saw him with Robbie Coltrane. Mm. He used to uh, set up in a line, huh? Him on one end and the band right with him in a straight line. Mm. And his count-ins would always be, and, <laughs> yeah, and, pff. yeah, you had to be on it. But he was great. He'd do drum solos only using the hi-hat. Yeah, yeah. The, the stand and the cymbals and all Yeah, well, he did the cymbal work on that album with uh, the, money, the Money Jungle with uh, yeah, yeah. Mingus and, and anything. That was it's amazing album. Very yeah, underrated. Money Jungle. And actually, a lot of uh, kind of trio sounds, I would have thought, came from the way they played together. They were kind of... I think Mingus was trying to upstage anything. I'm not sure if he was or not. Maybe he was in awe. Maybe he was trying too hard. I think he was a tripper. He had some stories about him. Jackie McLean talked about some intense things. He he pushed. You read Beneath the Underdog, you yeah. can tell there's some... But he's great. It's funny how... Do you know about this clown, Burns? Ken Burns. Ken Burns, yeah. He made some uh, yeah, pseudo... documentary. Yeah. I won't even call that a pseudo. You saw the book in my, when you came to our house. <laughs> <And you're laughs> but Mingus ain't in it. Mingus ain't in it. He sort of airbrushed over yeah, a lot yeah. of the stuff. I yeah. mean, it's, Trey's only kind of in it. Yeah, he didn't even He went give. to Winton and Winton did a... And Satchmo, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was sort of the, but there's the no Lincoln Mingus. Center version of it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. The Lincoln Center version of jazz. The yeah. free jazz was like a footnote. Yeah. Yeah, but no Mingus. Yeah, but, you know, it doesn't... Uh, I think Mingus... And not just bass player, but composer. Great stuff. Yeah. And then people say nobody plays his songs, but whatever. 
Uh, we played uh, Willie Nelson after that acapella version of a new tune he did called um, A Peaceful Solution. It's here for Willie. Uh, he got busted for Mota. I think they came onto his bus to bust a 73-year-old man. Again? I think it was in Louisiana. At least it wasn't tax evasion, yeah. And, um, no, this is from Mota, if you can believe it, you know. <clears throat> like there's I think they had issues. a photograph of a stash on the internet. And, uh, really? It looked quite impressive. Oh, yeah, he puffs a lot. He's a puffer. Good man, Willie. Now, look, when you were in England, one of the things you did was start a label. I did. And, uh, yeah, it's called Transduction Records, and uh, we've got four, five bands on the label. And uh, it started out because uh, I saw this band in Japan called Light, and they blew me away. So uh, it was just something I wanted to do for a long time, and I did it with my friend from Japan. He's, he's from Osaka, but he lives in the U.K., and we decided, let's just let's just do it. So we brought them over. We released their mini album last year, and they've released our first full-length album there early in February this year. And they're coming over to start. How the long they've been around? They've been around since 2003. But if you know the Japanese music scene, it's really really hard. It takes a long time. It takes a long time for things to sort of uh, gestate, and you know. So uh, and it seems as well that they're getting more attention over there now that they've gone overseas. Yeah. Oh. Well, they're coming to town tomorrow, right? I That's miss right. them. Yeah. Because they're going to do the world tour of Ireland tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the world tour of Ireland. <laughs> but we got a song you brought. We didn't get here. the Romans, but we've got the Japanese here. Right? You, yeah. You brought a song. What's this? Uh, is this off this new thing? This No, this is, uh, yeah, this is after uh, album film. It's, it's called Human Gift. Okay. Watch the Pedro show.
Okay, watch from Pedro show. That was Place of Spirits by Transcendental Organic Magical Object, or TOMA for short, the acronym. Something from Tokyo. And before that was Kyoka with Vedica. And then something from uh, Light, the band that Nez is putting out on Transcendental Records. Trans Although, trans yeah, that was the other band. Transcendental. <laughs> <laughs> Trans There's a team here, yeah. I'm getting a transcendental here. Yeah, wow, that tricked me. Yeah, didn't mean to do that. It's Transduction Records, and then Transcendental Organic Magical Object is name of a band from Tokyo. And it's Human Gift by Light, and which is not on the the new thing. The new thing they got is Split, uh, a record where they did three songs, and... Oh, fuck. And then... Um, this thing that I was part of, just shut it off, man. Sorry, Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, called um, Funanori, and there's three songs, and it's called A Tiny Twofer. And, uh, yeah, maybe we should play one of them songs. It's the same song everybody else is hearing, right? Lazy and Crazy. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
that was uh, Anoxia by The Arm and Lazy and Crazy by Funanori. Now, the Funanori song is with two others along with three light songs for this tiny twofer, and that's going to be your latest uh, transduction release. That's right, yeah, released yesterday. And The Arm is another band on the label. Yeah, they're from the UK. Great band. That was uh, that song is from their uh, EP "He Builds Bombs" released last year. They're recording in what town? They're from uh, Wolverhampton, that general area. Yeah, Wolverhampton. Yeah, Black Country. Where's that by? You know, what big town is it by? Birmingham, Birmingham in the yeah. Midlands. Yeah, it's the home of the metal. Jethro Tull, Black Sabbath, Ma- the Hoople. Yeah, all of that. I think Led Zeppelin was from even there. Yeah, they're not far from there, Kidderminster. Mm-hmm. That's it's all around the Midlands. That's why uh, the Midlands is the home of. We metal. played there a couple of weeks ago. It was yeah. V Festival. Yeah, Staffordshire. Staffordshire. Yeah. yeah. And you were in Sutton Coalfield. That's where I caught. Yeah. It was like some estate. Yeah. Thing and duck ponds. Stately home. Yeah. Right. In fact, this place. Uh, where were we at? Where the, we played this children's thing up in Leeds, and it was at a big one called. Harrow House. What was that about? How did you do that? It's a children's uh, charity benefit gig. How come? Outside. Well, to help children, <laughs> obviously. English children? Yeah, I was in England. It was up by Leeds, outside of town, in one of these things where there's the big house. And, you know, the family, I don't know, opens up the house. It's a museum and stuff like this. A lot of land. We're playing on the land. It must have been some big dealio. The uh, down the line, one of the sons was still living there. Yeah. We were, the dressing room was the servant's quarter. well, actually the steward of the servant's quarters, and kitchen was gigantic, this huge ass, this guy had some ducats <laughs> down the line, must have been a big wheel, and, and before Industrial Revolution, I mean, we yeah. probably went back some. So the arms from uh, there, and they've been, what, around? They've been around since about uh, 2003. Yeah, about the same time as light. That's right. And uh, they don't kind of sound like that. So what would you well, call that kind of sound? You know what? They, um, there's this term that gets bandied around, mat rock. Yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah, I heard it first in the U.S. with the bands like uh, Don, Ca- Don Cavallero. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I played with them. But, you know, I didn't listen to a lot of that music. I had a wild drummer. Yeah, great drummer. Damon. But, you know what? It's just music. I know, no, I know, but... Uh, Sometimes, you know, people want to put labels on stuff like that. I think uh, there's probably elements of it that you could identify as being part of this post-rock, mat-rock style. There's an Italian kind of thing called jazz chord. Jazz chord, like yeah, that. you were talking about that. Like z- Zoo, uh, like that. Square Tet. Yeah. Neo. Guys, they play pretty intense. Yeah. Pretty muso. Yeah, A lot really. of notes. Yeah. Sometimes it reminds me of... Uh, 70s kind of fusion almost well, but the the, the the sold is more intense it's not a laid back kind of music it's if you music. boil it down a lot of that music a lot of this music that they call them post rock mat rock whatever to me it just sounds like punk guys playing prog sometimes yeah a lot of notes yeah Gone was doing it very early again yeah 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 all the SST stuff in the 80s there was a lot of stuff that got overlooked I mean you know you probably weren't a big fan of October Faction or any of those guys, but... uh has a little more jammy. Yeah, but, you know... Those, they, guys, those guys look to uh, Grateful Dead and you stuff. You see, the punk guys in those days, they were sort of becoming hippies, I suppose. I don't know. They were I think they always liked them, yeah. the Grateful Dead stuff. But instead of being overt, like, uh, 
later on with the which it's a huge scene the u.s fish and oh yeah yeah the jam band scene. jam band yeah yeah and it's gigantic they have their festival uh Bonnaroo or something Bonnaroo yeah 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 yeah. I think Sonic Youth even played that's right yeah did the whores the whores play at the Bonnaroo <laughs> that's just a joke <laughs> I don't know <laughs> maybe they should but I think uh, maybe Lee Ronaldo likes Grateful Dead yeah I think there's a lot of bands like them and maybe a lot of bands don't admit to liking them but you know when people beating themselves up over you know we like this band we like that band back in the 80s you know yeah it used to be that you'd yeah, be music was like a manifesto. It seems like genre is more powerful now than even then. Well, it is for if you're talking about post emo and. But if you fit in with a genre, then you can either be disliked automatically or disliked automatically, which seems to be that's the problem. Ridiculous. That's a problem because you don't listen first. Yeah, well, yeah. that's why you. Well, what about Irish music, punk music in early days? Well, in the early days, you had like in Dublin here. What in was Dublin? What? There was there was limited enough, and actually, YouTube bizarrely enough would have come out of whatever kind of punk scene there was here. Yeah, but did they? You had the Radiators, and you had the Radiators from space. Really, the Radiators were the yeah. only band that you could consider punk. I'm only doing a disservice there. to some bands that you know have mentioned, but the the big thing in Ireland, the punk scene happened really around the, uh, the whole promotion scene, which I sent you the book. Yeah, and the health food. Yeah, so. it was all these vegan recipes. They're contributed by all the bands, and these guys are like, you know, blazed the trail. And they were inspired by Fugazi. They put on a Fugazi gig like in 1989. It's a guy called Nile. He's a legend. So that's when the scene started that late. You, really? Yeah. There was no 70s. Yeah, well, there was. There was. There were bands oh, that yeah. had like sort of uh, Mohican haircuts and shit like what's, that. What's what's uh, undertones? The undertones were, be- were up in Derry, Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. And oh, oh. A lot of that would have been I stiff suppose, little fingers, Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. And I suppose that, that was a consequence maybe of the sound being around and where they were living at the time in Dublin. Yeah. It was more really like that pub rock thing that you had in England. Really difficult. But the Boomtown Rats, Bob Geldof's band, would have been the big sort of example of that. And they were in seventies. Yeah, yeah. And they would have been, you know, punk, punk like or whatever you want rock, to call yeah. it, like, you know. Yeah. But uh, bizarrely, enough, was there kids? Was there squats? Uh, not really. There was uh, there was a lot of people living around. Like Ireland would have been a very conservative country still in the seventies, but it would have been near the end of the conservatism, and things had run down to such a point in the economy that there were a lot of people living fairly um, on the margins basically yeah but there wouldn't be sort of people still would have having a family home to stay in and so on so there wouldn't have been that kind of disaffected youth that you have in America and similarly people that went to college would have been very sort of straight laced people because they'd come from a money background so it wouldn't be you know boho scenes that grow up in college circuits that automatically happen in England and the continent and America didn't really happen here until much later on in actual fact I suppose people that would have been more offbeat in Ireland at the time would have fit in more with the uh, Irish folk scene, bizarrely enough. Yeah. yeah. People who, and even dope smokers that were around at the time would have fit in with that kind of. Was there little labels? There were little labels here, yeah, and they would have done their own thing. And in actual fact, they had their own way. Their way of doing things was a lot like the way the Americans did, the uh, punk bands did their thing. That they kind of recorded themselves, not for themselves, for their audience, but it, it dispersed naturally and organically, regard, without it sort of over the, you know, mass distribution, cashing in thing. You had the kind of. You know the kind of pop version of it, like Foster and Allen, Foster and Allen, which would have been the guys that dressed up as leprechauns and shit like that, and played <laughs> songs like "Bunch of Time" and so on. But uh, <laughs> for every Tommy Tommy Makem, you have a Foster and Allen, you know, or Luke Kelly, or Luke Kelly, who would have been our our own very own our hero, our hero and Otis Redding of Ireland, without doubt. He sang from uh, somewhere in the Bell, like you know. In fact, the Coltrane kind of thing, whatever Coltrane was tapping into, it would have been very tra- so traditional music that would have been Luke Kelly, but he was a vocalist rather than. He played music too, but he was mainly a vocalist. 
Great yeah. banjo, yeah. So the music scene would have been kickstarted mainly by you two, in in any in any way that we know it now, for what it's worth. You see a lot of you talking about the seventies. A lot of people were they all from here? Were some from London? Or? One was a sort of second generation Irish guy. His family had moved back um, when he was sort of ten or eleven or something like that. Everyone knows the story, by the way, which is an unfortunate thing. Really no. no, I mean in Ireland because because oh. they were the only people that for a long time were sort of posed with. But they were from near enough to where we're from, north side of Dublin, Fingus. And uh, they were in with a gang called the Virgin Prunes, who were kind of. Oh, I remember them. Yeah, they, were they were punk. Yeah, they were punk. Of, <laughs> yeah, they were, they were really bizarre. As well, yeah, kind of cabaret. Yeah, yeah, they were into that kind of Brecht and all that crack. So, uh, and your man is still around, and a friend of Bono's, uh, Gavin, Gavin Friday. Friday. Yeah. But, uh, the thing about you two in the eighties was it polarized people very quickly because they fit in with a kind of the you know the stadium rock stuff very yeah. fast, and it would have been mainly people from outside of Dublin that liked them, and in Dublin it would have been cider drinkers that wanted to get drunk and go to their concerts and get sick. And all the labels <laughs> sent A and R men over, and they signed all of the you know they're looking for the next year too. So there's a lot yeah. of bands like I don't remember Cactus World News all these yeah, bands. the Stone Temple Pilots of Dublin. They even exactly. have three words in their name too. Huh? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> But yeah, there's and a lot of people would have left Dublin. You have to understand there was a huge amount of emigration. So like if you were into punk or you this is something that you saw happening in London, you left. You went to London. I'm fitting there. Because it wasn't happening in Dublin. And that's why I say it really took a long time and as far as I could see that the only uh, the the first time the scene sort of happened here was when these whole promotion guys mm-hmm. started up in the late eighties. And then you, you saw bands, you went out and you actually saw bands. We were playing our guitars at home and you go and see these bands you go wow they're into the same music as us and they're doing it themselves but it took a long time arrested development okay so late 80s hardcore yeah finally comes and so you have homegrown bands doing uh, the pogo <laughs> well I was kind of I suppose it was more somewhere along the lines of somewhere between Fugazi and Teenage Fan Club sort of sort of sound there was a lot of different was bands, you know. Bands, yeah. Who came in from out of town to play here? Yeah, nobody. I remember well, well, trying to get you to come over through Carlos many times yeah. back in the eighties. But if I had known this guy, Niall, you know, he would have put you on. I'm sure. The, the only time bigger English bands, only bigger English bands like um, New Order, REM, S- the Smiths, bands like that would have played here. Yeah, uh, and then. Neil like, Young, somebody Neil like that. Yeah, Bob Dylan. Public Enemy played here in '87. Bizarrely yeah. enough. They were invited over by a student crowd and played a gig here but before they even released their second album. So people were interested, a lot of people were interested in music here and always have been. No, it's not that far away. No. Um, by miles, I mean. Absolutely. But uh, they kind of, it was just a backwater. There was a limited amount of people that would go to it. And it was, but it was the same crowd that would go to see a New Order gig, would go to see an REM gig, would go to see Public Enemy and so on and so on and you could fit probably all those people into two or three venues or pubs in Dublin at the time Yeah, you and then to f- it just took off you have to factor yeah, in because like I know these people Estelle I mean yeah. what kind of scene do they come out of they're like but an instrumental now, now there's, there's no scenes anymore there's no scene it's just, it's just just tons of great bands it's the healthiest it's ever been but you know going back to what Andrew was just saying you have to factor in as well there was a lot of uh, overseas bands would have been put off by the political situation Things that were yeah. going on in Northern Ireland, and they oh, don't—they yeah. don't, they don't uh, you know, realize that this is the Republic of Ireland. There's no bombs going off here. They just say, "Okay, we're not going there," you know. So that was a, another factor. But now, I mean, it's just there's so many great bands in Ireland. It's just amazing. It's the best it's ever been, and they're not people are you know bands like Estelle or you know I could name you like I could go on for ages. 
they're not interested in fashion. It's not. So we're untainted by the whole London scene there, where you know people are looking to get you know single of the week on MySpace or anything like that. They're just doing it, and it's organic. You know, like the enemy doesn't have. <laughs> the enemy opened up an Irish edition here. Uh, maybe I don't know. I think it was last year, and it lasted about two months. Everybody was gone. What the fuck? But you're right to mention it because. Uh. 20 years ago it was yeah. probably really the only gateway to hear about a lot it was of our stuff. only way yeah. you could listen to BBC Radio and you'd hear John Peel's show and then there was a couple of Irish DJs who did a sort of half-assed version of that too but the enemy would have been the main source for all this but of course with that came all the baggage yeah. of being in the enemy so you fit into a camp and you like this band yeah, and yeah. all like that band and all that crap you know? <laughs> well, that's how we found out about your band so yeah the enemy, enemy. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I can't knock it but I mean it's more like well, smash wasn't it. there more uh in the older days, there was a melody maker and a sound. Yeah, sounds. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they had, that was that was quite. Because they're big. the only sh- game in town now, right? Well, of course, yeah. the, the internet's just annihilating all uh, that stuff. It's, 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 it's it doesn't matter anymore, yeah. you know. Right. Yeah. Doesn't matter. No. Um. What about Torin? I mean, they just didn't play Dublin. They played Dublin. They might play Cork, um, and they might play. Maybe Galway, depending on how enlightened the band were, the fan base in Ireland, and so on. That's big three cities, towns, big cities. Yeah. They're, they're, say, There's big only cities. four million people here. You know, yeah. you don't want to. You yeah. know, you probably if some tour managers looking and thinking about Switzerland's camping. five million, and there's a lot of places to play. Yeah, but there, there's a lot of but organization there. Where there wouldn't be a lot of organization here. Yeah, they have these things like uh, youth centers. Yeah, like over here, there's there's literally three or four towns that you could call a city. And they'll be small cities by American standards, apart from Dublin. Yeah. But um, you're only going to have so many people there, you know. So, th- I mean, bands wouldn't come over here and try and break the market as it were <laughs> it was because <laughs> what's the market, you know? It's, yeah. It doesn't exist. But, you know, bands like Sonic Youth would have come here and played. Yeah. As far back as certainly 1990 or thereabouts. First gig Sonic Youth played in Ireland was McGonagall's in 1990. I was there. It was the Goo Tour. It was the first gig on the Goo Tour. Actually, maybe to played Cork. No, that's, that Goo was the year after. No, actually, no, it was good. And uh, Teenage Fan Club supported them. And they kept coming back, fair play to them. They played with Nirvana the following year. I saw them. But yeah, then it, it just started to happen then in the 90s, and we got loads of bands. Now there's a sort of queue. We've got like a waiting list of bands. Yeah. We're, we're turning bands away now. Because there's so much money in, in Ireland now that you know, they can cash in. I mean, anybody that comes to play is going to get an audience. I think I read somewhere it's the third highest per capita in Europe now. The second, apparently, the second strongest economy in the world after Japan. I don't know how they worked that out. These people. This was per capita. Yeah, yeah. And so, but you know, to give you an indication, which years is a lot different. Than the yeah, old days. yeah. But it was in permanent recession in the old days. Yeah, it was permanent recession. <laughs> Since poverty. the country became into existence in 1922, I mean, you know, it kind of went to. And what do you think, EU? EU people going off like Ned said, going earning some money in other countries and getting ideas while they were there be it artistically, be it business, be it whatever. And then a couple of things happened in the early 90s here. Just things went right for a while. The kind of, the computer thing took off and a lot of American companies set up here um, as a European base and people got a lot of jobs so there was cash to spend. And Irish people went at spending the way they went at drinking. Didn't stop them drinking either, of course, but they kept spending their money and so people came and set up more things to take their money off them. Right. So it kind of fed itself, and it kind of changed to service rather than manufacturing. It has now, yeah, yeah it yeah. has now. Yeah, but and I people think people make more money drawing pictures than making something. You know, I think you have to give credit to the Irish education system, though, because we had a very 
well-skilled workforce in all those years when you know in the 80s you graduate or you came out of school you couldn't get a job so you went to university you had to just like, prolong the agony of like going yeah. to the dull queue and that's what happened in the 90s when uh, these companies like Apple and Google and Microsoft whatever came well they had a highly skilled workforce and who spoke English and loads of yeah, tax the breaks the accent's kind of calmer too I've been told by people it has yeah we've been become Americanized definitely you know TV and people want to sound their version of what you call happening yeah. well if you had done this 20 years ago you probably would have needed we'd be <laughs> there's a flat Dublin accent there's a flat Dublin accent that kind of yeah yeah you know you drop a lot of the kind of the t- in a T and you kind yeah. of go that 33 and, and a 30 and a, fe- a, a thing that you and I both share like of all three of us James Joyce he would have used a lot of that in the kind of uh, the way he wrote um, certain passages of his books the, the one in Finnegan's Wake where the two women are hanging out the washing oh yeah yeah where kind of it's essentially gibberish but essentially that's the way our mothers would have spoken yeah and um, it's, it's hard to keep up with that well there's a guy <laughs> academic guy Declan Kybert and he argues that it's uh, Hiberno-English we don't speak English it's Hiberno-English oh. like, an Irish person would say something along the lines of it was a great concert it was they'd say it was at the beginning and, as w- and it was at the end and that's a translation of the Gaelic version of that the, the it was would come at the end of a sentence in Gaelic now in school they teach Irish still huh? yeah oh yeah yeah. But do people speak it? no not really no. it's on all the street signs yeah so, this has yeah, been a mini revival this is more an, a, an identity thing right yeah it is it's right, not yeah. practical well it's, it's an aspirational practical. thing I mean you know when we, we became independent it was like you know we, our language was oppressed for so long yeah. and almost decimated so their intention was to restore it to its rightful place and make it the first language. And actually, last year it was officially recognised as a, a language by the e- EU. I heard the airplane pilots say it when we landed. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. A lot I of mean, kind of state-run things that use every, the Irish and the English. And yeah. give you a I don't hear anybody on the street using no, it. No, no, no. You won't. It's not a practical thing. There's parts of the country called the Gaeltacht where they're kind of... It's the it's it is the first language and everybody speaks it there when they walk to the shop to do business when they go to the pub when they do the thing and there's a TV station a state-run TV station that broadcasts in Gaelic but it's um it's it is a minority language I mean there's no escaping it and a lot of money is put into teaching people it in school and you go you, it's one of the three things maths English and and Gaelic you get taught the whole way through school it seems a bit of a waste considering that people aren't really enthused but it often strikes me as something that if you're demanding that or Italian people learn Latin or something you know I don't really know the purpose but some people like Nez here get on this high horse now and start you can hear the harp in the background can't you (laughs) well I don't only have we are a couple of fuck last but you know I think it's important to keep it alive I do anyway but you know because also is there any bands singing in it no no but the planet, planet. Well, and, why don't you sign Enya. one and get a band going on your label? Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Okay. You, can sign, you can sign Enya. Enya. Well, what planet, was the, the England, one of the England guys on the on the Stooges crew? Well, he has this aphorism: "All talk and no trousers. No yeah, trousers. Yeah, 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 All talk, yeah, no trousers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we, don't, we don't say don't that, say that in the US. No. <laughs> but uh, we're at the end of the first hour here. Okay. So hold tight for hour two. September 4th, 2007, it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro show. Shut up, O'Higgins, will you?
God hard and he do mighty works. He got a new law in life. Lucky sevens and his grandmother's curse, but your person will be bursting like little bikini eyes. Oh, bursting, ever bursting, yeah, you'll be living on so They're gonna atomize you. You can't get off your stop. Like poor Charlie on the MTA Though you were such a chap You're sorely sorry that you cannot pay But your person will be bursting Like little bikini atoll Bursting, ever bursting Yeah, you'll be living on soul We're gonna atomize you It's what from Pedro show, and uh, you just heard "Living on Soul" by Frank Black, and um, before that was "True My Sails," a Neil Young song by the Soul Savers, which is Mark Lanigan and Greg Dully, and um, before that was a duet with Keiko Higuchi by Mori Shige, and before that again you had "In Country Dark" by the Spook of the Thirteenth Lock, who starting off the second hour, starting off the second hour. Excuse me. And uh, yeah, speaking of the Thirteenth Lock, we were talking about earlier. Yeah, their uh, band, new uh, new band, uh, Irish band on Transduction, and uh, the name is quite unusual. But they're named after uh, uh, I think it's an 18th century poem about a haunted canal, and uh, it's quite unusual. All the locks, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so they're uh, it's kind of weird music. It's kind of like use the word fusing but yeah it sounds like it's a bit of Celtic traditional music but also there's a bit of prog and kraut in there as well so uh, their album's going to come out in January and I'm very excited about it because it sounds great what would you call King Crimson well see you're asking cats right yeah it's 
Prague. I would call it Prague. That because that had a big effect on Greg Ginn. Yeah. Besides Grateful Dead, it was King Crimson. Plus, uh, they would listen into the van that that red uh, the album Red. Yeah. The album, I, I would, uh, Nobuyuki from Light just did an interview and they, they asked him what was the record that changed his life and it was King Crimson's first album when he was about 14. But, you know... Well, how old is he? Oh, he's only about 24. Yeah, okay. They're, they're young. He's he was the around oldest. when that first album came out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's just music. I mean, I, like, I love uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra. I saw him. Yeah? Birds of Fire. Yeah. Was uh, the, the album yeah. just came out. It was uh, Jerry Goodman, Rick Laird, yeah. uh, Jan Hammer, Billy Cobham, and uh, John McLaughlin. Yeah. Mm. And uh, it was pretty intense. Mm. <laughs> it was like camping. <laughs> intense. <laughs> what was the... Uh, I remember a few years... And that was... you got to understand, at that time, that wasn't that popular. No. Even Crimson wasn't that big in the U.S., they weren't playing the giant. They weren't yeah. like a Zet Led Zeppelin kind of band. Yeah. Can I just say something? Do you remember a few years ago? Now this is meant mean only something to us here, but um, do you remember? There's a few years ago. There's some emails going back and forward about Adrian Blue, and I think you were saying was it Robert Fripp or is it Adrian Blue? And yeah, Robert Fripp was the boy in Cuba yeah. Times and uh, you you sent this email out and Fripp is the guitar player yeah. brainchild of. I think Andrew replied to everybody on the list, and you said uh, this was bullshit or something like that and it started off this oh, yeah. flame war on, on your uh, email list. well the, the, do you know what I think it was I think it, rega- it was it could, it could have been talking about anything but it was because you actually took a stand on something and you maybe decided that you actually didn't like it and you stated it clearly and you know like so many people these days like to dance between everything and go oh you know and it's, it's nice to be fair and it's good to give things a listen and I agree with all that stuff but there seems to be an awful lot of what people call it relativism and all this crack nowadays I mean there is good and bad in and I'm not talking about good and evil. I'm talking about. I'm talking about standards here. <laughs> if you know what I mean, like you know, if you don't like something, you may as well get it out there and say it. And I, I think it encourages argument. I think it encourages conversation also. And it might make people come to it. Like if you just accept everything, then. You know, there well, is no, what about? Um, is there a capacity for people to change their mind? Absolutely. Like they might like something at one period. Mm. And then like, ooh, yeah. Come on, we've all done it. And then we? maybe come back to it later. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what we all do, right? That's so. But you're open a kind of worms there. See, on the internet, it seems like people just yeah. have this persona that they have, and I don't think I don't think there is so much of that there. People like uh, we're talking about a line in the sand. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and, uh, you do not cross it. Oh, I know. Are we talking aesthetics? Yeah, because yeah. Okay, at a time that, that didn't Aquinas settle that. Well, it's funny, I suppose... You know, the eye of the beholder trip? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying everybody has to agree But you were just saying there was good and bad. Oh, you mean each person has it. Each person has it, yeah, exactly. But a lot of people want to... Do you think people can get confused? Yeah, totally. People don't know what the fuck they're talking about a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm definitely in that camp. (laughs) What was it we were saying? Again, or Robert Fripp, I don't know. But, uh, you think maybe it'd be a good idea for some of us to take it on ourselves to help straighten others out and yeah. get what yeah, and they, they in their mind is clear. No, like you have come up I with know. a set of uh, verbal tools that you can get them to convince himself of what they really do like and don't like. Well, and, people and will adopt. The what are we looking for? Consistency. Yeah. Well, you look. People are adopting the fashion half the time. They're going to fit in with something they think it's the right thing to do. People have you want to say something that others. yeah. People will say there's a validity to something like a poem written by a guy because 
he had a heroin addiction or something like that. So therefore, he struggled. So therefore, he knows about torture. So it must be a good poem. But is it the same as something that's really truthfully brilliant? I don't know. It's, it's, Where would it's, you put a contrarian? There should be one in every group, anyway, that's for sure. Sitting in that chair. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> He's just got it. He just waits to hear what you're saying. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually the conversations we have. Yeah, yeah. But you see, so in a way, is that a safer position? Well, it, it's a better thing to do than just for to agree with everybody else and say, oh, yeah, that's yeah. good too. I like that too. I like that too. I mean, So are you into skepticism? Yep. Absolutely. And I'm skeptical. Have you ever thought about taking it all the way? No, because I'm lazy too. No, because to really be a skeptic, wouldn't you have to be skeptic of that idea? <laughs> well, so in other words, because you can't. <laughs> if you if you if you bought it, right, all you your skepticism is like the, the the safe place. Yeah. Yeah, that's just going down the road. Don't you have to be kind like, of you know? skeptical of that? That's that's nihilism. No, it's it's kind of. Well, then everything indicative of the self-inclusive paradox. Sometimes you can't, like you've got the book of lists, yeah, right? Lists of everything and you put it in a book. Now, what book does that go in? I mean, you can't ever get outside yeah, enough. Absolutely. And I think this was the thing with aesthetics, and why those people, other people, that jump to good and evil, yeah, they want to get out of that realm, yeah, right. The safer ring to throw the punches is in good and evil yeah yeah because if we're dancing around with aesthetics they're just little uh, yeah. uh, decorations on uh, the, the fruit float yeah on um, May Day or New Year's or whatever sure yeah and so they want to get at the real thing so yeah. they want to get down to good and evil well of course they use, they use good and evil to express aesthetics and voice versa too in the centuries yeah. gone past because it was the only game in town and the times we've lived in, of course, that's been put in its box to some extent. Or you've got this guy, is it Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, going around writing about the, yeah. the God delusion, and maybe being as vehemently opposed to religion as anybody who's truly religious. So, is he a zealot? He probably is. His argument about that is that he deserves a right to be that insane about his point of view as someone who's madly religious, also, and that's a fair enough point. But it's kind of existential. It kind of is, but he, I've been reading a lot of Kierkegaard, and he said you had to have doubt to really be religious. I'm sure that's true. I, I'm not religious myself, so I, I don't know. Uh, I've been reading, uh, reading a lot of stuff I read when I was younger, and the Kierkegaard is hilarious. I mean, first off, he's really adamant about not being a philosopher and all this. Mm. He's using pseudonyms. He's, the stuff is insane. Mm. Uh, so I read it as literature. Mm -hmm. I take it from the cue there. And uh, I find it really intense. Uh, but some of these points, yeah, you can't tell what he's setting you up for to ridicule or what he was about. I know we know things about his personal life, and I know that's dangerous to do to always extrapolate mm. uh, kind of judgments on people but with their work and their personal life. Because, well, like we were saying before, before we had the thing on when you said it should have been on. We're talking about this transcendental quality of art where mm -hmm. you don't have to be keeping it real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, th and that's an important thing. Yeah. And this guy decided to... You've, I don't know if you've heard about this book, a guy called, I think, Levin, who was involved... A music producer who was involved with Stevie Wonder and people like that in the 70s. He's now a cogn cognitive neuroscientist of some type and has written a book uh, 
about why music turns people on in the way no other art does and that's the theory and why do you get goosebumps when you listen to music in such a way and we all he's actually done examinations of this now, to me it sounds like he's taking the fun out of it a little bit because maybe you just don't really want to know the reasons behind these things and good music good art can act in a sort of way in, like, in a religious epiphany in some way or you know and maybe it's best left that way when it comes to art and aesthetics to examine it too much and to think about it too much kind of spoils it I think but what was the question? <laughs> well, we were talking about good, uh, what I was trying to get at. It, you know, is there a good and a bad? Uh, can you even be sure of it with yourself? Mm, I don't know. I think that's something. That I, do you have records in your collection that's that the King you're Crimson. embarrassed? We're back of? to King Crimson there. <laughs> Fair enough. Should you really throw them out? No, you shouldn't. No. Or should you fetish on them? <laughs> maybe so yeah I mean we all have our dark past and these things and yeah those. yeah or should you use it for cred against hipsterism that's, that's against neuroscientists saying yeah, so, yeah I like this monkeys I yeah. like this partridge yeah. family well that's what this, I suppose that's where I, you uh, analyze too much let me fetish on this yeah but on the other hand you said people like things just to belong yeah so kind of a lord of the flies yeah 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 exactly and they'll follow the trailer. So the guy with the bad record collection gets to play Piggy. Yeah. And we all stone him. Yeah. Should we take turns playing Piggy? Maybe so. I mean, would that be fair? Maybe so. Life can, about, you, can you set that up that is, way? Is life People about, are withdrawn more and more from the I think that's the where the music yeah. industry works, isn't it? Or the music scene. Have you been in, like, the people you work with? Yeah. Have you ever noticed a dynamic like that? Absolutely. Well, the, People the feel safe if one guy's one guy gets to play the goat yeah. Yeah, and the, the other cats talk about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It works from the cradle to the grave, I think. And you people know? play to the crowd as well. So, you yeah. know, if you want to fit in with the others, you sort of right. make but, a joke but, about the But knowing like that so. mentality, knowing you're part of that mentality, mm-hmm. are, are, isn't it realistic to expect that one day they're going to be doing this to you? Of course. And that's maybe that's but where if somebody just said, stop, back. you know. But it's. It, these things are coded into people now. Whether it's, I think so. Whether it's genetic and memes or whatever else, I don't know. I mean, is it scientific or otherwise? Is it just something to do with the laws of the jungle? I don't know either. But I mean, people people behave a certain kind of way. But you know, all you can do, do is people sort of, use music to identify with each other, right? Of course, yeah. Absolutely. But on, on the other hand, it's a very private experience, uh, like the iPod. I mean, nobody hears well, what you're I playing on gone, your iPod, right? But that's kind of gone backwards. I mean, people, yeah. like. It went from being that way with gramophones and so on to, you know, people going to concerts and sharing the thrill together. The dance thing. What about on your T-shirt? You got your favorite band. And in the 90s, when people were going to big dance events, maybe more in Europe than in America, but I guess in America as well, where people went to raves, where it was all about, it certainly wasn't about the music. I mean, you couldn't call it, okay, there was some of it that might have been complex and interesting, but a lot of it was simply about getting the beat going to get the crowd working. And that was all about, allegedly, a shared experience now. If anyone was that, any well, what would you think of this? I mean, I made a stencil in high school and put the Blue Oyster Cult symbol on my back of my shirt because no one else had that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was I sharing? Well, you were saying that was signal to the pack to say you're different and so on and to rub their noses in it and to get them going, maybe. And if you were a skeptic, you were I already to get felt them, I was already pushed out of the yeah. reindeer games. So you're keeping, them for, you're keeping yourself further <laughs> detached then, maybe, yeah. 
Well, everyone has a tail. That's why I'm saying with this iPod, right? Nobody really hears what you're listening well, that's to. The thing. Yeah, so it's, it's such a private yeah. experience, you know, the music. It's you're not showing it off to anyone. Mm. In fact, you got it really loud. You're going deaf, pounding into your yeah. head. Well, I think no. I and think it actually saves my sanity on these fucking twelve-hour hell rides on the airplane. Mm. I don't want to really share the music or the film that they're playing, mm. the Shrek Ten or whatever the yeah. fuck. I don't really want to join in on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with the John Coltrane. All for me. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a, a Bogart. Obviously, John Coltrane. He made a recording so I could hear it. So, so he, <laughs> he thought say, outside yeah. a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank God he did. Yeah, you know, right, right. Yeah. Made works. In fact, one of the reasons I'm really driven. I got six months, probably with no Stooges coming up, and that I want to record a bunch because I have been doing mainly gigs the last fifteen years. Yep. Yeah. Two albums. Gig, gigs go years. out in the air. You see what happened? You, you took a holiday to Scaries. And everything just went out the window after that. Yeah. <laughs> 2004? Before no, it was, it was before Scaries. Did you tell it the people started, on the show what that was about? Between, yeah, we should talk about that. Yeah, I, well, you said a little bit, because I said how many times have I been to Dublin, and one of them was Bloom's to play gigs. It was Bloom's gig. Yeah. I think the, the 100th anniversary, yeah. Uh, the, the 14th, 15th, no, the 15th, 16th, and 17th of June 2004, I was here. And um, I didn't play a gig. It came, I came to celebrate Ulysses because uh, it was the 100th anniversary of, well, the 16th was, uh, when that book was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's published in 21 or something. Yeah. 22? Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. So it took them a little while to write. But yeah. the germ of it is supposed to be on June 16th, 1904. Yeah. The day he met his then wife, or the girl that became that's part of somewhat wife. One he dragged around to everybody's house. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I saw the suit, some of the suitcases at the National Library there. Yeah, yeah. Like the poor woman. In fact, what do you think of that? There was a, book, a movie called Nora or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of revision on what a mean man. Like yeah. there's a mean man uh, yeah. about Picasso to women, and, yeah. and that's like a mean man uh, choice was to Nora. I think it was based on a biography, but those things, you know, he's easy target for it's an easy copy the thing about that movie as well is that it played up maybe I don't know whether it was too much or not how would I know but it seemed to me to be a bit of a stretch to maybe say that she Nora herself played a large part in the creative process that Joyce had I mean certainly she gave him some of the ideas and she was a harsh critic of his inspired him and she inspired him yeah but I don't know if she was actually you know kind of Getting in around, choosing the words from and so on. She's from Galway. She's uh, yeah, she and she's country simple kind of. Yeah, so she's serving girl, serving girl in Dublin. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's that could have been a yeah, it's definitely a revisionist view of the whole thing. I see pictures of her. She's a beautiful woman. Yeah, yeah, handsome woman as they were known. She's okay, handsome woman. (laughs) (laughs) And he's big in this guy um, Henry Isbin. Yeah, yeah, they're Norwegian just to study him properly. Yeah, like I'm gonna that's go to Oslo and there's a theater there and Isbin's up on the. That's no mean feat when you're 17 and you got nothing. Him and Steve McQueen, I think, were. <laughs> Steve McQueen tried to get into Isbin in his later the days. Great, the doghouse or something, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Just to come in. I I got Sam Pebbles. I brought it. Oh, the, the mechanic. The DVD. Yeah. No, the DVD. Oh, the with DVD. McQueen, 1966. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which the cover is inspired by. But the book is Richard McKenna. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, Raymond. That's supposed to be Steve McQueen in yeah. that movie. And uh, he made. He actually used white out on it. After he said he made him too old. Really? So he whited out some wrinkles. I know, because actually on the original scan, I saw I had to touch it up a bit for the cover, <laughs> but you can see the. Uh, I know. I was wondering what that was. That's what it was. He thought he made him look too old. Wow. <laughs> and he, he was really worried about the squint. Whether people would recognize him or not? No, McQueen was known for his squint. Yeah. But the squint is a fine line yeah, yeah. between, you know, yeah. racial stereotype and, you know, the McQueen look. Yeah, he yeah. had this kind of squint. And so he really wanted, I mean, he did it right in front of me in two hours. Wow. While we were talking. A lot of his work I've been around, I was on tour with uh, Missing Men opening for Chili Peppers and we were in Vienna. And I went walking around earlier in the day, and the Kunsthalle was there, and Raymond had a show there, and there was 500 of his works. And it was a trip, because I was around for a lot of those works. And he does, he talks while he draws and stuff. Not a lot, I mean. But we'd be talking. And that's how he did uh, the Funanori cover. He was talking to me. And in fact, I was talking to him about the movie and the book. There's a difference between the movie and the book. I mean, there always is. Have you ever read uh, this guy, Milan Kundera? He's a Czech writer. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. got a book called Immortality, and he talks about where a movie can never be a book. And basically, his argument there is uh, they made a movie out of incredible lightness of being. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he said, well, that was the wrong book to make the movie out of. It should have been made out of this book. <laughs> but then that will come up short because a movie can't be a book. There's too many alleys you can walk down in a book that you can't in a movie. Stuff wow. like that. He's got a new essay called The Curtain, a book of essays, where he's talking about what is the novel. And like that one woman writer, you know. Mm. It's basically, I think it was the Herald Tribune said it was an instruction manual how to read Milan Kundera books. <laughs> so is this, what's this book? Is this just like a, he's talking about the, the, the history of the novel? Or? It's not that old. No, it's only a couple of years ago. It's, it st- starts, no, but the novel itself, you know, is maybe Don Quixote and yeah. uh, Ramblay. He was talking about, it was like the first uh, novels. It's not that really an old of an art form. Mm. Well, it must include people like Henry James and people like that. No, a lot of it's Central Europe. Really? Which makes of sense because that's, yeah, where, yeah, he's that's from, where he's from and there's yeah. a big struggle he has with the, that identity getting washed over into an Eastern Slavic thing in Russian and they are Slavic people but mm. they are, uh, you know, more Europe than these East people. And it's just it's just trippy when, when you well, Try to get the the overview. Well, I, I wouldn't claim to know anything about anything where near the level this guy would know about. But the thing about it is, is that this is kind of tipping off what I was trying to say earlier about, um, you know, something being at the height of an art form and maybe something being there and enjoyable, but not n- anywhere near as good. Craft and craft and understanding. I, I suppose I've read bits of that book, the the the, the court. And that. What he's talking about is really that, like this, you know. There's a standard that these guys set that anybody who's skilled enough can achieve, but you'd want to be seriously skilled to achieve it. And these days, that kind of knowledge and that kind of um, the, 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 the tower that all these guys built from Don Quixote up 
has been sort of said, well, that's just one thing, but what about all these other guys that have done fabulous things like Harold Robbins? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it kind oh, of, in the age we live in, it gets as much spoken about. It. Brown, David Brown. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the, Dan Brown. Yeah, Dan point, Brown. Yeah, yeah, all this crap. I mean, like, it's there, it's good, people enjoy it. I've no quarrel with that, but like, there's this other stuff, and if it's your cup of tea, Dan it's your cup Brown. of tea. And, you know, people have to accept that there's, you know, there's just something that some people can do. And we've been talking about Joyce, you're talking about Madame Conundra now, and other people like them. They're able to do something that very few people can do. And not that they should, nobody should hold them in awe because of that, but they should be, what they're talking about deserves a lot of listening to them, I think, a bit of respect, you know? Yeah. Not along with other people, maybe more than. I the Stooges sax player Steve has been getting into this guy, uh, Haruki Murakami. I turned him on to Kafka on the shore. And then now he's got to get every Haruka Marikami. And he was reading this, uh, before that he was reading uh, his Pelican Briefs and this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's know, okay, he's, too, he's, you know. Who's that uh, author? It's, he's Grisham. always Grisham. Yeah. Grisham. <laughs> and now, but he's on a Marikami band, and this guy's a real surrealist writer, a yeah. real tripper. And Steve has just fallen in, and he's got to read every book written by this guy now. Yeah. But the cool thing is, you know, you go to the airport and you get these, like, shit novels. They always have his books there, which is great. You know, you know, he takes a lot of heat from the literati in Japan for yeah. being too western. And outside Japan as well, by those prissy guys like you were talking about. Yeah, yeah but inside, too much western reference. But yeah. you go to Japan and, well, you see his western reference. Yeah. So, you know, he there was an interview with him in the New York Times where he just, fuck all you guys. Yeah. I think he's doing like some resident in uh, a New England school right now. But you now, see all so. these guys that are writing books now based in Italy, like English writers or American writers, not, they might have a, you know, this guy Michael Didman, he has this uh, character, he's a Italian detective, Zen his name is, yeah. or something, Arturio Zen or something, and all of his books are based in Italy, even though he's an English writer. I mean, people do that kind of stuff, don't they? You know, and it's kind of, I suppose it's aspirational and all the rest or whatever you want to call it, but like, that's just a device. And I mean, if you're using your... Born on the bayou. It's like, look at me, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to wear my hair like this. Yeah, but maybe you want to transcend some kind of reality that's boring the shit out of you. Yeah, well, but don't bore the shit out of everybody else. <laughs> Would you not bore the yeah, shit out of people? Yeah, but you can always bore, put the book down. That's true. Yeah. Wouldn't you say there's a kind of a freedom in the arts for that, you know? Yeah, yeah. That people can decide for themselves whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, but the art and it can stay dormant for that, and you pick it up, and you might like it or you might not like it. And see, there, there is freedom right there. Mm. Whether you like, and, and you didn't hear anybody else's opinion about it, and you just kind of dug on it. Oh, yeah. the best way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then then with the musics, like people going back to this kraut rock. Yeah. Because in the day. No, but that was a very niche kind of yeah, trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or let this guy, these guys I'm playing with, the Stooges. And when that yeah. music was going on, most people did not like it. No. But nowadays, and at the gigs, there's not a lot of people our age here. Yeah. They're young people. Yeah. And they've embraced it. It's the, the, the thing pop will eat itself. And, uh, you know, wondering, like, at the moment, it seems to be, like, you're talking about that, it seems to be uh, the 80s. It's this thing where uh, the reference point for it's a reference bands, point yeah. now where it's cool. Like it's like you know you're talking about like records in your collection that you're embarrassed about. Or people digging out these Depeche Mode records or now. Orange juice or something. Or, yeah. yeah, all that sort of stuff, and Durand it's cool Durand. now. Yeah, well, you know, whatever. 
Well, people are actually it's like people have based their whole career. Kagadu, you could say. But even bands that are kind of like semi semi respected, like Franz Ferdinand, yeah, are essentially a copy of certain. Was it Joseph K? Was that band? That's right. Named yeah. after the Catholic yeah, postcard uh, label. Uh, the postcard label. That's it. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, those guys did it. Then you liked it or you enough didn't. Time enough time has passed. That it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's people don't know that stuff. It's like yeah. with Pop Group and Wire and all those bands. It's the same stuff, you know? Arark, I had him on the show when I was in Tokyo, and uh, every song he played was from 1972, and it was an obscure prog band Dyke that I'd never heard. Yeah. No, he's a big fan of uh, Van Dyke Parks. Oh, yeah, 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 but he didn't play any of that. And he likes a lot he of that. He played some of this trippy stuff. Some was from France, some was uh, from U.S., some was England, and they are very obscure he didn't play Gentle Giant now. Yeah. But <laughs> he was playing. So, and they were all from the same year. Okay. <laughs> it was like, it was all like 1972 was the magic year. Well, it's funny. Of course, he wasn't born yet. You know, uh, that guy, Malcolm, was from Pavement, who I think... Or maybe he, he was. Maybe he was just born. He brings out some great records, and uh, I read in something where he just... I don't know, he's just playing up for the interview and being funny, but he said, no, he exclusively listens to these, like only private pressings that were released in the early 70s by ex- obscure English psych prog bands like you know private pressings naturally you know they were yeah. never released on any label like, I know, know somebody does that with religious cult private oh, pressings Byron Coley well he listens to all kinds but he's got well, he's a an special well. hankering for yeah. that you know like some uh, little group got together yeah, and yeah. they all sitting around the guru and <laughs> Jesus <laughs> But you're peeking in a world that has got no compromise, huh? Because yeah. they weren't worried about a mass market or something. Yeah, so yeah, maybe yeah. there's a purity to that. I think a lot of people are identified with that period for that reason. And also because there's um, the arrangements on records from the early 70s. Like, even if you look at, like, like you know, even chart albums or albums that would be in the top 40 in America, there's a certain lush sound off them. And, you know, I talk about Van Dyke Parks as well, but. Like, I don't know, you listen to records, you hear them on the radio, even in Ireland still to this day, like, by guys from that period, even, like, some shit like Clifford T. Ward or something like that, you know, and it's got that sort of, maybe it's that Californian sound, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And people, it seems to be the the thing now. The cocaine sound, maybe. It's the, it's it? the yeah. sound of cocaine, probably. Yeah. Who's this guy, uh, Devanda... Devanda Barnhart. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think of him? Ig, Ig was talking about him. Yeah, the show. Mm-hmm. He sounds like he's trying to break in a new set of false teeth <laughs> when he sings. But he has a song called Will Is My Friend, which I like. He's a young man, right? Yeah, yeah. but he sings but he with an old look, boy. Yeah, and he looks and like a hippie kind of guy. Right? Yeah, uh, your woman, the, the English folky. What's her name? Oh, um. Who Bren hates. She's a funny name, too. Oh, fuck. Anyway. Alzheimer's. Yes, but she, uh, But I think his, his, his goal is to sort of resurrect all this stuff too you know and he has yeah. his own little scene and I suppose I think he's living in Topanga now I think he was oh, in really? New York City he's looking uh, for the gold rush somewhere. but you know what's happened there is that with all that music it, the, the, again the age we live in it, if that was recorded in the early 70s as you say a little niche kind of sound nowadays it gets devoured very quickly and it gets absorbed and it gets listened to and Starbucks and so on like you know and I think I suppose we're talking about cynicism and scepticism earlier yeah. it, for certain people if that happens to, to anything you instantly get a dislike to it and that's yeah. just opposing <laughs> itself maybe but it, maybe it's healthy go, self-defense yeah 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 Fanti Bush Vashni Bunyan yeah Brown Trunyan what's this Susinski Susinski ah no. 
Yeah. Fanti Bushman. Fashion Bunyan is the. Sushiki. Oh, Sushiki Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a great show. This okay. is a great show. This is a, another Japanese band on Transduction, and you're going to play it now? Yeah. This band are intense. I can only say you got to see this band live because uh, the frontman is the most uh, imposing, charismatic guy. Were they from Tokyo? They're from Tokyo. And actually, uh, maybe some of your American listeners might know a band that they were in before because they were they had a band before called There Is A Light That Never Goes Out. And they were more like a punk, straight punk emo style. Named after the Smith song, bizarrely enough. But they, uh, you know that label, Dimac? No. They released, uh, I think they released a Battles record and they released uh, from Monument to Masses. They're based in California. I think it's run by this Chinese guy. And he, they released this uh, their record. So they have, people might know them in America, but they formed this new band called Zed and they're just amazing. I saw them. Oh, they're called Zed. They're called Z. Zed, yeah. Or, no, they're called Z. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. Let's not get into semantics now, but I mean. Well, like the band with the three exclamation marks. <laughs> That's, they're called Chuck. Are they? <laughs> Apparently. That's the phonetic. Chuck? Spe- That's the phonetic spelling. I don't know. I've seen that. All but, right, Chuck. But Z or Zed, you know. At the end of the day, it's just great music. It's very intense. And uh, and this is Sushiki Man? Sushiki Man. Sushiki Man. Yeah. All right, what from Pedro Show. <laughs>
Angelo. And billions. And billions. Hey, welcome back, folks. Uh, you've been listening to Verusclis 2 by Verusclis, uh, Berries by Clown Vomit, Teenage Dicks by Tough Shits, band from Philadelphia, with a pun on a band from Derry, yeah? Oh, uh, yeah. The Undertones, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Jusiki Man. Jusiki Man? Zushiki Man. Zushiki Man by Zed, another band from or Transduction. Z. How do they say it because they're Japanese? They say Z. But they've been Americanized by you, Americans. <laughs> Not by me. <laughs> Not by you personally. <laughs> personally, no. Z, the word is Z. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's what you've been listening to. And unfortunately, my uh, compadres here can only do two thirds of the show because they must be off. But it was a really righteous to have you aboard. So thank you much. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having us. Much success with the Transduction Records. Thank you. And. Uh, you do work in a pharmacy? I work in a pharmaceutical company, yeah. Pharmaceutical company. So much, success. <laughs> so much success. Thank you. Seems <laughs> <laughs> that we're talking Japanese <laughs> Okay, and hopefully I get to come back and do another radio show with you. Don't Everybody worry. else, it's only second hour, so I'll hang tight for hour three. September 4th, 2007, it's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show, and here's part seven of Jack Flanders and Tropical Hot Dog Night. So you saw the mist coming up out of a swamp? Yeah, it was forming on the surface. <laughs> but that's what a mist does. So why do you think that's the same weird fog that comes creeping in here? Because it feels a little too alive. So? A mist does feel kind of alive. Well, this one seems to be made up of thousands of dancing will of a mist. Were they holding hands? Oh, Joe, I didn't stay around to find out. Besides, it's starting to rain. So you think that's where the fog is coming from? Yeah, I'd bet on it. Hmm. It was getting thicker as I watched. In fact, it was happening so fast, I decided I'd better use your favorite technique. <laughs> You're talking about feet don't fail me now. <laughs> you got it. Mojo? Claudine? 
Did you see that mist Jack's been telling me about? I can see it now. It's forming behind us. So it's moving this way? Yes, and I'm getting wet. Uh-oh. I hope it's warm. How are Rose and Dominique? Uh, they're trying on clothes. They are buying clothes? I don't know what they're buying, but they're trying on everything in this shop. What is the name of the shop? Secondhand seven. It's all vintage 30s and 40s stuff. For men and women? Oh, yeah. For the men, it's fedoras, double-breasted suits, wide lapels. For the women, it's tight waisted, padded shoulders, and sometimes lots of beef. I love the clothes from that period. All the prices aren't bad. Are the suits made of wool? Oh, cotton wool, but you like that. I asked Johnny Seven, I said, how can you wear wool in the tropics? And he said, when the fog comes in, it cools down. It is moving in now. Yeah, in fact, it's nipping at our heels. Hmm. I'll tell the women, but uh, I think it's going to take some time for them to decide what they're buying. Mojo. Yeah, Jack? Let's meet back at the Fat Pink Pussycat. Uh, we should be there in about 15 minutes. 15 minutes? <laughs> no way, man. They got dresses, skirts, shoes, blouses, hats scattered all over the shop. It's going to take them forever to decide. Oh, well then, just tell them to give the other Johnny Seven a deposit for layaway, and, and they'll make a decision tomorrow. Uh-uh. They're buying stuff to wear tonight. Well, we'll meet you there, then. Uh, are you sure you want to let Claudine see the shop? Hey, I heard that. Why do you men think that not all women want to do is spend time shopping? Well, I didn't exactly... Hey, I am surprised and disappointed in both of you. Listen, Johnny Seven's got some pretty good bargains there. Well, then, I will see for myself. Okay, Mojo. We'll meet you at Secondhand Sevens. Ciao. (laughs) Adios, Kimosabi. So, how do I look? My, my, you look real fine. This is not too daring, no? No, that's the, the old glove fit you got there. You're saying I look like an old glove? No, no, no. I'm saying it fits you like a glove. Fits you just fine. You think so? Oh, yeah, like a black satin glove. Mm, I do look nice, don't I? Mm-hmm. I'll take this one. I can wear it tonight. Rose, that's a nice gun model outfit you have there. Is that what I look like, a gun mall? <laughs> Why are you looking pretty cool, pretty tough and cool? So, Moshe, where was that suit you were trying on? Oh, I put it back. Oh, why don't you buy it? I, I make decisions kind of slowly. No, you go put that on right now. We will surprise Claudine and Jack. Come on, do it, Mojo. You looked great. Uh, well, to tell you the truth, I thought that suit made me look like a Harlem bootleg. Uh, oh, come on, you look nice. Real Jake. Come on, do it. Life is too short. We may not see morning. Are you saying pay now and play now? That's it. Hey, have you noticed it's getting dark already? Uh-oh. And that fog must be moving fast. Come on, come on. Get in your suit, Mojo. Hop, hop. Okay, okay. I never realized fog can move so quick. Are you two still out there? It is very close now. It's wrapping around our feet and creeping up our ankles. Do you want me to come out and meet you? No, no, stay there. We can see the lights of the village. Listen, if you get caught, put white light around you and around each other. Jack, are you hearing that? Hearing Mojo? Yeah. No. Are you hearing voices? What voices? Do you hear them? What's that? Claudine is hearing voices. In the bar? I can't hear anything. I think I better come out to you. No, don't leave Rose and Dominique. you you're becoming so pale. I know. I think you're fading. Is she disappearing again? No, 
No, I can't be. Jack, use some light around her. No, I'm trying, I'm trying, believe me. Where's the fog? How close is it to you now? It's all around us. It, it's sucking the color out of Claudine. Okay, listen to me. Stop running. What? You're breaking up. Stop running. Put your arms around her. Hug her. Protect her. Did you hear that? Jack, you there? What's wrong? Oh, man. That fox caught up with them. We're going to help, yes? Uh, Claudine said to stay here. And let the monster eat them? I think Jack can handle it. You think, but do you know? No. What's wrong? The monster caught Claudine and Jack. Well, what can we do? I'm going to help them. Hold on. Take a look out that window. You see how that stuff is pouring down the street? In another couple of minutes, you won't even be able to see the direction you're going. So what do we do? Nothing? Is that what you do? But don't you think Jack and Claudine can take care of themselves? Claudine, maybe. Jack, no. And you want to go out there just to save Jack? Save Jack? Huh. Man, look out there. You'll never find them now. Jack, I can't keep up with you. Oh, here. I- I'm going to carry you. I shouldn't have come back to Kimilabro. No, no, no. You're okay. You're holding your own. In fact, I think you're getting your color back. You think so? Yeah. But you've lost most of yours. Oh. You're in black and white. I can live with that. Except, why do I feel like I've just stepped into a 1940s B-movie? Jack is carrying Claudine. Man, that fog is sticking all over them. Oh, here you go. Oh. Uh, Claudine, are you all right? I didn't think we would find our way back. What is that fog? Oh, God only knows. It's like cotton candy. It's stuck to your clothes. It's looking surreal out there. It certainly isn't what I expect. What did you expect? Well, I never thought fog could be so aggressive. Is it alive? It feels that way. Oh, look out there now. There's people running around like like they're playing in it. Yeah, well, what do they know that we don't? Is it safe to be out there? Who knows? Uh, you two looking kind of pale. It seems to remove all color. Everything becomes black and white. It was drinking your color? It was doing something. So what do we do now? I think we ought to ask Johnny Seven.
when he was just a boy stealing bread and spitting in the face of life. Now he barely remembers anything.
Thank you so much. Here comes. Let me talk for you. Here we go. Now, uh, my uh, Irish friends, Naz and Anto, had to bail. and But to take up the slack, or maybe I shouldn't say that. You can say that if you wish. All right. To, to uh, aid in a bet. I like that better. You're an aid in a bet. There's my uh, right. co-mouse, Steve McKay. I, in Dublin. Are you doing there? I'm calling from Dublin, eh? That's like I'm really from Michigan, and I can't get rid of that accent. But hello, what folks. are you mistaken for today? Canadian. So oh, you must be Canadian. You talk because you don't talk English, right? And how did you learn them? How did I learn them? Correctly. I said I said I'm from the United States. And that kind of hurt a little bit, but it is the truth. And how far are we from the embassy? Uh, about uh, a, a good three-minute panic run. All right. 
we should say what songs there was. That was uh, a duet by yourself, Steve McKay, and Alejandro. And tell us about that. Alejandro, he, he, I can't remember his last name right now, but he's from Argentina. He you. And we had a wonderful show together. It was not in Argentina, though. No, it was in Lisbon, Lisboa. Portugal. Yep. And uh, that was in uh, 04. 2004, what month? Uh, uh, Augusto, August. What day? Uh, no say. Okay. So it was about three years ago. Yeah. And tell us about the, the circumstance. Well, that was uh, at the tail end of a Stooges tour. And my wonderful partner, Patty, came over and hooked up with me, even though everything was all turned around and things had been changed because shows were canceled. I finally hooked up with her at the Madrid airport and we flew together into Lisbon and we hooked up with my Radon pals. And a couple days later, we had our gig in Lisbon. And I wish I could tell you the name of the club right now, but I can't, but it was a good show. And we played a bunch of stuff, and we had uh, the ever-present Scott Neidegger, Big Maven of Radon, and we had... Uh, RadonCollective.org for more info. That's right. And we had... Uh, R-A-D-O-N-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E dot O-R-G. I'm having an orgasm right now, Mike. That's good. But we did a good show at, at the school place, and uh, I shall remain nameless. Well, it, until I can remember it, because I haven't written it down. But it was like the something of something, and it was like what the, part of town? Uh, uh, Barrio Alto, the high Way neighborhood. The, 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 which is like right up above Baja, which is the low neighborhood, which is where all the main stuff is. And we had a good time, and uh, we had like certain kind of like rock critic guys hanging out there, and then they're like talking to each other and stuff. And by the end of the show, about Half of them had gone away, but the half that stayed gave us standing ovation, and it was real, real good. And somewhere on the internet, there's a good picture of three guys with big bellies, <laughs> but that may not be public information. Profiling, yeah, profiling. It was like it's like Steve, button up your shirt. It's like well, but Camille had he had a big belly, and Alejandro had a big belly, and it turned out. Mine wasn't the biggest one, so... The spheres were undraped. Yeah. And uh, we should probably say Alondor was playing cello. He was playing a wonderful cello. And the thing we just heard was... My friend Camille actually recorded all of this. And it was sort of like decided that just the two of us would do a duet for this certain amount of time. And it was good because Alejandro was not an aggressive kind of a guy to like take over the stuff and so I had to keep drawing him out and stuff but 
it was real nice because we were able to play together and it's a beautiful instrument to play with I love that that's my favorite stringed instrument is the cello right uh, before Steve and Alondro we heard Hiroshi N with I Cover the Waterfront before that was Many Birthdays with Spirit Number 9 and we start off the third hour with Part 7 of Jack Flanders and Tropical Hot Dog Night now Steve coming up in a matter of maybe a week, me and you, along with Stooges, for the first time are going to play where? Russia. Mother Russia. In the big town. Yep, we're going to play in the big town club B1. Moscow. Yep. And that's going to be on 9-11. 9-11. Before that, we play Helsinki. Which will be a first for us. But before that, we play in, what, Frederikstadt in Nor- Norway. Norway. Near Oslo. Yep. And then after and, and, Moscow. And again, Kamilski, as it turns out, will be opening for us in Moscow. Right. And after Moscow is Paris gig. Uh, outside of Paris, uh, Fête de la Humanité. Right. And then we go uh, home. Which is a communist function, by the way. And then we go home. And then we go home. And we have a gig October 27th. Yes. Las Vegas, Nevada? Yes. And then Estoro? Uh, as far as we know at this point, esta, esta todo. Yeah. It's all. And there will be many more. Mike Watt and his trip going on, and Stephen Kay and his trip going on. In fact, where are you going in before that? I'm I'm going to New Jersey. Sorry, but I can't take you. You can come if you want. It's all right. I'm I I got a whole crew of guys in the East Coast that are going to back me up, and we're going to play a couple of gigs, including one at the uh, Southpaw in, right, in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, right? Which is what like date? A, uh, somewhere between the ninth and the seventeenth of uh, October. October. Yeah. And I using my frequent flyer miles. I'm going out there. And uh, where are the other gigs? Are you going to a studio? We're going to Caesar's Palace. Caesar's C- Palace. Caesar's Palace in Brooklyn. Right. And we got like Jason Lafarge is our main man there. And we're gonna we're gonna be doing some recording too. And uh, you know, I sent him the charts and I sent him the tapes. Steve McKay material. Yep. And the repertoire. They, and we're going to do some of that, and we're going to do some of that old, familiar radon freak out, find your own way in the darkness kind of stuff. Yeah, you betcha. So you're looking forward to it, and then maybe Stooges kick up again in May. I'd like to see something before then, but but basically that that is the deal. Yeah, that's what we're 2008. Hearing. Yep, and 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 what a wonderful thing to think that the Stooges are going to ramp it up one more time again, you know, at least. And uh, i got to give a big shout-out to Mr. Pop because he is, given the scale of what we're doing, he's a great boss, and he's, he, he keeps on going for us, you know. He's going the extra mile. And like he said to me the other night, going the extra mile is pretty tough sometimes, but... He's going to do it. Cool. Uh, Let's play some more music.
Plot from Pedro show. Started that chunk off with Geloso and a tune called Casanova. Some music from Italy. Then we had Taste by the Magic Markers, Kokomo by the Black Dice, and then finally Codpiece with When I'm With You. Steve? I think that's a wonderful name for a band, and I wonder why no one has chosen it yet. What more can I say, Mike? And you think that's a fashion statement worth bringing back? Um, I remember that Eldridge Cleaver, in his declining years, God bless him for everything he did for the revolution, came up with pants called the Cleavers, and they were pants that had codpiece built into them. Do you remember that, Mike? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and at the same time, I don't know. It's like I, I, it's almost that that like putting putting the cucumber in your pants or something, you know, something like that. Like 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 from from Spinal Tap going through the airport security and he got the thing, the, the cucumber wrapped in the tinfoil. Like it's it's a good name for a band. Okay. If somebody asked you to name a band, and you had to do it quick. What would you pick? Space Age Toaster. Yeah. Good one. What'd you think of the Electric Picnic yesterday? It was a fabulous show. It was a fabulous show. And the Irish people were, like, really, really nice and really good. And I had an adventure the night before. We flew in from Manchester earlier, Saturday, about maybe... No, the plane was delayed, so we got there about 6 o'clock. So I got on a bus... Yeah, you ran Took straight. To, you were straight, straight from like like once you got once you got out of customs, you were like, hold my sack, and you ran. Yeah, to the bus. Took it to Hewitt Station. Caught the train to Port Leash. Wow. Uh, from Port Leash, hoofed down to Stradbelly. Uh, Fredo from the, doing percussion with the Beastie Boys saw me, and but Road Boss Eric had worked out a pass for me earlier. I didn't really, though, think about conking, so I had no conk pad. If I watched the Beasties play, they were great. Oh, yeah, the, there was a barbecue. The GO team had a barbecue, and they chowed me righteous cue, English cats. Yeah, you told me that. It was, that was really Actually, good. Actually, Kaori cooked the chow I ate, and it was really good. And uh, after the Beasties, i go with Money Mark and conk on his deck. That's good. I know. It's like, and, and, wow. and and we said, what happened to what? He says, nobody knew. No, Eric. No, no. We we knew that you went with, and we all knew that you would find a place to sleep, even if it was like next to or inside somebody's sweaty tent, because that's just the way you are. And my lady Patty said to me, "Yeah, we respect Watt for all his energy because because he just has it still." And I want you listeners to know this, that Watt still has it. And he ain't lost it yet. He ain't never going to lose it. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Beasties were great. Me and Yauk had big talk about bass. He's got some old Ampegs. Oh, really? Yeah, he's got one. Some of these are really kind well, of... Well, no, these are Portaflex where the ones come out and the, lay on up upside down. The baby... So, so the tubes are sticking up in the air. Oh, the Ampeg amps are basses. 
Oh, the base. Oh, 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 no. Well, they were the, the ones. The baby base. They right? were the, the first ones that came up with, like, the giant base thing. The, 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 the replacement for the stand-up. The stand- that still a stand-up. Right, band. right, exactly. Yeah. It's still used in a lot of Cuban salsa bands. And he, but there was also some uh, electric uh, bass guitar models. And one had uh, flat wounds that had been on since the late 60s. They'd been on 40 years. No, you want to leave... When you got strings like that, you want to leave them on. I, I'm not a bass player, but I know about strings like that. Because they, uh, they get a certain character to them. Then, uh, he's going to have knee surgery. He has an ACL thing. So he wanted... Who, Adam? Yeah. Really? But... He ripped it playing basketball and stuff. But it's nothing like my surgeries. But we related a little on knees. And we talked about uh, the Bad Brains, which is a big influence band on the Beastie Boys. Well, no, they, they were Negroes, is that right? <laughs> That's right. Well, we could call them that, can't we? Like a great band. A great band. In fact, they've just gotten back together and oh, started really? playing gigs. Oh, really? Oh, that's so cool. Washington, D.C. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um... And then the next day, I came out with the Stooges crew. That's right. And, and, and I saw... And, 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 and you, you managed to survive the drive. Yeah, because it started raining. The, the, the weather in Ireland, you got to understand, even in August and September, it changes quick. And at this point in time, it was raining, and whoever was behind the wheel... It was Mr. Toad's wild ride. <laughs> okay, so I had the iPod real loud in the head between the knees, so... Would not look out the window. Averted the <laughs> eyes. But I got there. It took twice as long as it did for me taking the train. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. The train was way faster. Uh, went out there. Uh, the Beasties played again. They played an instrumental set, sort oh, of like did. what me and Pettibone saw the week before. And then well, they the, played in a tent or something, yeah, right? Yeah, they did. That's where their stage was. We were on a different stage. But, the but, only thing but that, but was, that was like the bonus thing for all the people that went there. Absolutely. Because they wanted to see it, and they, they, they didn't know they were going to get to see him again. That's right. That's so cool. And then uh, Sonic Youth played, and they were great. Wow. Yeah. They had a blast. I mean, I've seen these guys play so many times, so that was a great, great show. Well, that was the tail end of their tour. They go home, right? Yeah. Now Thurston does some gigs on his own. He has a solo album He's got an out. album. I saw that. I saw that he's got an album and, coming And uh, he'll be playing Out Your Way at uh, 27th October. So I think I'm going to come see that. And Rocky Erickson, no, 29th, because 27th, we're in Las Vegas. That's and right. The Halloween is Rocky Erickson. So I'm going to see two gigs in the I got a pocket full of quarters, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I, I've decided I'm going to go from nickels to quarters on the slot machine. In Las Vegas. Yeah. What's this festival called? Vegus? I have no idea. Yeah, I think it's like V-A-G-O-O-S-E. What I, kind of beer are we drinking here? Prashki from the Czech Republic. From the Czech Republic. And it's a lager that's got a bit of a Belgian taste. Whoa, look at that. It's like we're getting a live what? call here online. Hey, Andrew. Well, we're doing a radio show right now. That's okay. What's up? This is this is the Watt from Pedro show. What, when, what time? This is how it goes down. Okay. It really goes down. Like 9 o'clock. We'll see what right. happens with Mike. Come on, I'll see you 9 in the morning. Okay, Andrew. Out. Now, that was Andrew Bush from uh, the drummer for Estelle. 
a Dublin band I've played with before here. Really? Uh, they're going to do some recording tomorrow morning. They're going to come get me at 9 a.m. Why aren't they coming to get me, though? That's what I want to know. jam? Sure. They'd probably be into that. Well, they were way into meeting you today. You saw that. Yep. Remember those those, those folks? Those I had uh, They came and visited, and I had a walk and a talk with them. And now they're going to record. And uh, we'll see. We'll throw the dice. That's right. It'd be fun, huh? Because we got to fly out of here at... Uh, we're leaving. We're leaving six the hotel. Is, yeah, six something. It's yeah. the flight, so we'll probably bail at three or on four. Our, on our way to Norvegia, right? Oslo, Oslo, right? So um, uh, that's interesting. These are cool cats. I've played a lot of their music on the radio show before, mainly instrumental band. Oh, really? Uh, mainly uh, the keyboard organ player writes the tunes. Uh, but they all collaborate in on it. And, uh, yeah, they hardly ever have spiel. Um, one time uh, they had me write a poem and uh, send it to them uh, while the Stooges album was recorded. And I wrote them a, a poem called the, the Morning I Woke Up With Cat Eyes. And they put it over one of their instrumentals on uh, the cool. last album. But they're recording stuff for a new album. You're a now. great poet, Mike. You really are. <laughs> Anyway, I was glad to help with this. Now I get to play some bass with them. I've never done that. There's a club here, a big tradition, uh, a club with a long tradition that's a great place to play called Waylands. Oh. And I got to play Waylands with uh, with my second man a couple years ago, and Estelle opened up. Oh, and really? a great band. All right. Uh, like uh, Nez and Anto was saying before, a lot of the Dublin bands... Uh, don't care about genre. They just go for the, uh, their, their, their muse. And they let their freak flag fly. And, uh, That's which the way to you got to do it. Noble. Yeah. To me. And, and I, I think it. in the long run, it helps everybody. Because it gets us out of this uh, formula stuff and categorization stuff and just, uh, yeah, uh, non-music stuff. So it's good stuff. And, uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, you be ready though, because it's kind of early, huh? It, it, it had no. I mean, tomorrow morning. Yeah, it, it had is. To be yeah, early. it is. But, but, but uh, it had to be early because we got to get out of Dodge. That's right. Yeah. So, but uh, if they'll, if they'll have me, I'll be there. I bet you they would. They were so excited. I should have said something on the horn there, but we're on the air. <laughs> this is the way it is on the Watt from Pedro <laughs> show. You remember us from Switzerland, but now we're in Dublin. Oh, that's right. Yeah, both uh, Crans, Montana, and Neuchatel. Yep, yep. The first two uh, away radio shows I did were both in Switzerland. Yep, and this is the third one. Is that right? Uh, is this the only? The no, third one? I did one in Valencia with Jose. Okay. Yeah, I remember. And uh, I think that's that's it. No, but, didn't we? Do, yeah, we never could do one on the U.S. tour because of the bus noise. Yeah, we tried it, but, motor, we, it, but it didn't work. Where, where we sitting in the bus, it was right over the motor, and it put a huge-ass buzz on everything. It was a 60-cycle hum uh, scream. Yeah, Screamer. In fact, we had to redo the songs of yore because of that. That's we right. We got onto the uh, cassette uh, dealio. So, um, what are you going to wear in Moscow on stage? Uh, well... I'm I'm most assuredly going to be wearing my Japanese summertime workman's vest in black, which you've has been a wearing bunch of that pocket. the last few gigs. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it kind of 
is a nice counterpoint to your boiler suit. It's like, these are working men, you know. These are working men. And then it was like, well, should we get Steve a boiler suit too? It's like, I don't know. His bell might hang too much, you know. We, we, we might not want that, but... But the, the vest is good. Although, you know, in, we were talking earlier about the picture featuring the three bells. Yeah. You were kind of tiny, right? Well, no, I was, I, I was there, but, but, I, but I was not the biggest one. I think Alejandro was the biggest one, and Camille might have come in at number two. Okay. Even though he's, these are hale and hearty fellows, you know, but. They were belling. <laughs> they were belling, too, that's right. And uh, that's it for the September 4th, 2007 Watford Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>